Just the ladies sing. stand and let's sing I know whom I have believed. Let's all stand. I know 
sold out to the Lord. We know that. He also had a verse of scripture that I was looking at this last week. And it goes like, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We all know that verse very well. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I was reading a sermon by a, a guy who really liked reading and hearing what he has to say. And he was talking about that there's a difference between living for Christ, which is a wonderful thing. We need to do that. Live for Christ. Or we need to live Christ. Paul lived Christ. He allowed Christ to live in him. Mm. And this little song that came to mind as, uh, as something was mentioned in that, in that uh, sermon was that he needs to be your all in all, everything. So I said, I know a song that goes like that. So let's sing that, You Are My All in All. strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my
Thank you. You may be seated. song that we did several weeks ago and it's very easy to catch on if you didn't hear it and um, uh, if you heard it before you should be able to sing along with it so please try to sing along this is a great song yet not I but Christ in me Chains are released. 
yet not I, but Christ in me. It needs to be fully. He is our all in all. Let's stand together and let's sing Christ our hope in life and death.
My name is Jeanette. I am a Christian and I love Jesus with all my heart. I love my children and I love the people of my country, the Central African Republic. There are both Christians and Muslims in my country and we lived as neighbors as I worked to reach them for Christ. But my hope for a peaceful life didn't last. Our village was ambushed by the Islamist attackers. Guns started firing and we started running as fast as we could into the bush. All the Christians in my village were killed or driven into hiding. I fled with my children. We didn't even have time to put on our shoes or clothes. Attacks like these have been targeting Christians in the Central African Republic for eight years and continue today. Churches and missionary stations that have been built over decades have been destroyed along with Christians' homes that have been burnt to the ground. In one area, the only structures that remained were the metal roofs of two churches. Thousands of Christians have spent years in makeshift temporary shelters far from their homes as the violence and instability continues. Delivering desperately needed help to displaced Christians often means overcoming impassable roads, using cargo planes, trucks, motorcycles, bicycles, and even canoes. With God's help, supplies are making it to Christians scattered throughout various camps. Today, Jeanette and more than 30,000 Christians in the Central African Republic have been driven from their homes all because of their faithfulness in maintaining a witness for Christ in majority Muslim areas in the face of severe Islamist violence. These courageous believers, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Central African Republic, have shown God's love and forgiveness to their persecutors. They continue to faithfully follow the Lord and trust Him to meet their needs. powerful video is it not you think about the people around the world that are suffering for the gospel of Christ and uh, literally losing their lives because they stand on the truth of the gospel um, today is um, around the world just a persecuted church Sunday and the churches around the world are praying for our per persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ and you know, we need to be a part of that. I mean, that does not exclude us. We need to be committed to praying for those around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. 
listen to me, because we do not know that that won't happen here. It may happen here. And you can see how the world is changing and even how it's changing in the United States of America and freedom of religion is on the line. You listening to me? It's on the line. And one of these generations is going to face, we can't imagine pictures like that here in the United States, but one of our generations, I believe, is going to face that. There are going to be men and women called to be persecuted for Christ and the gospel, and who's to say that won't be us? You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, just like I don't either. We have plans, but we don't know what's in store for us. And so I, I really wanted to focus on that this morning, and um, that's kind of how the message is going to evolve this morning, just revolve around um, the persecuted church. And it was persecuted from the beginning. There was persecution. And I want us to have a word of prayer, and then we will um, study. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Hang in there. There are a lot of slides. If I told you the number, you'll be like, oh, my goodness. But we're going to get through all of them. The test was run in first service, and we made it. So um, praise the Lord. So um, let's pray and ask the Lord to, to be with us during our study. Lord, we just want to give you this morning, and we ask that... Um, Lord, you would receive all the glory and honor. Your spirit would be our teacher. Help us to focus in on what took place in the church hundreds of years ago. And um, how, Lord, we can learn from that and help us to just really think about the freedom that we have now. And, and Lord, we want to be like Jeanette and those others. We want to faithfully serve you. And so... Um, not knowing what's around the corner, uh, Lord, I just pray you prepare us because we don't know uh, what we, we will face here. But we do know, Lord, that you're in control. And so we give you this morning in the name of Christ. Amen. So I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bibles because I've typed out everything. So if you turn in your Bibles, you're cheating, okay? And I want you to cheat. I want you to hang with me. And there's a reason for it, and I hope that you um, will see that today. So we saw a video about a, a lady named Jeanette, and she was sold out, right? She'd been sold out to the gospel of Christ. And so with that in mind, the Lord had impressed on my heart, hey, two questions for us to consider. One, what are we sold out to? Okay, so you make that list this afternoon. You work on that. What are you sold out to, and who are you sold out to, right? There are who's that we need to be sold out to, right? Husbands, wives. Our kids, grandkids, right? I love having grandkids send them home, though. Sold out, right, in relationships. Think about this. If we're sold out to Christ, if he is preeminent, everything else falls in place. When he's not preeminent, it gets, the waters get murky. So we have to make sure that the who we're sold out to, number one, is Christ. We agree on that? Okay. Um, there are examples of men in the scriptures and women who were sold out to Christ. We're going to spend our time in the book of Acts. We're going to go through two chapters. I know that's hard to believe, right? You're thinking he can't even make it through one verse. How's he going to go through two chapters? But I got good news for you. It's going to happen. Now, we're not going to hit every single thing, um, but we're going to hit the highlights. And um, I want to show you this morning about two men that were just absolutely sold out 
to the gospel of Christ and the word of God. And I hope that that will be an encouragement for all of us as we live every day, okay? So young people, I'm asking you to hang in there with me. You hadn't been to school, right? I don't know if you're doing school or not doing school. But this is about 45 minutes. You can just take it to the bank. That's what's going to happen. And then we'll be done, but about, I said about 45 minutes. Um, we're going to be in the, in the book of Acts and we're going to start in chapter 14. And I want to start with these, these two verses. Okay? And um, when you come to these two verses at the end of the first missionary journey, you're like, wow, this is good stuff. Look, look what it says. It says, and after they had preached the gospel to that city, and you'll see who that city is later, and had made many disciples. So there were many followers. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And you look at that on the surface, and you go, hey, man, they had a great time. You know, uninterrupted. No big deal. They preach the gospel, and they end up here, and they go back to these cities, and they strengthen and encourage the believers. But there's a lot that takes place between chapter 13 and chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. That's kind of where we're going to look at today. But I want to kind of give you an idea of where they were in their first journey uh, together. We know they were set apart by the Spirit to go on this journey. John Mark was with them for a time. You can study that on your own. John Mark's an interesting story. He starts out with them, gets off the trail. And later on, at the end of Paul's ministry, he says, Hey, bring John Mark with you for he's useful to me. So we... It's a great example of not ever giving up on someone. Okay, we don't go, oh, well, they just, you know. No, we, we chase them down the road, right? And so uh, the Spirit of God is the one that's going to move in them, but we chase them down the road, let them know we love them. Hey, look, you're off the path. Let's get back on the path, okay? Because all of us uh, have a propensity to get off the path, right? Here's their first journey. They start over here, Antioch, Assyria. They come down here to Cyprus. They come up the Mediterranean to Pamphylia, and they're in this area. Our context this morning, we're going to spend time in this region here, the Galatia region, Pisidia, Antioch, uh, Iconium, and then we'll end up in Lystra. And there are other places that they go during that time, uh, Derby and such, so we'll, we'll look at that. But that kind of gives you an idea of their first journey, and um, it's really interesting what takes place. We begin in chapter 13, verses 13 through 52, and there are two primary focus points in this um, particular uh, section that he starts with and that's this first we find that Paul preached reviewing Israel's history now on the surface that looks like boring and what, what are we talking about but it's not boring at all in fact in this section he recalls the faithfulness of God okay so I want you to keep that in your minds he recalls the faithfulness of God in Israel's history they would come to a synagogue and they would preach what are they preaching? The gospel. But in, in Antioch, he reviews Israel's history with the people, focusing in on the faithfulness of God and the freedom that is available. You're like, what kind of freedom are they talking about? Right? Um, well, we'll find out as we get there uh, later on. Okay? So we begin with the faithfulness of God in 1417. Look what it says. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers... And made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. So he is preaching 
the history of God's faithfulness to these people, okay? Which would be a good place to start. And so that's where he starts. And he continues and talks about these particular things as it relates to the faithfulness of God. Now, I'm not going to go over every verse with you, but these are the highlights in that section. In talking about the faithfulness of God, he said, He, meaning God, so all those he's there are God. He put up with them in the wilderness. Question, did he put up with them in the wilderness? Answer, class, have you read through that section of scripture? He put up with them in the wilderness. And before we are really hard on them, he puts up with us. Yes, he does. Grace, don't we love grace? He destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He distributed their land as an inheritance. He gave them judges. He gave them kings. He removed a king. Who did he remove? Class? Saul. Okay? He raised up a king. Who was that? David. All right, you're making A's. David made A's last class. He brought to Israel a savior. Who is? Christ the Lord. He set apart a forerunner who was to proclaim the Lamb, Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. Who is that? John the Baptist. All right? And then the last part of his message, he focuses in on the raising of his son from the dead. So as he's talking about the faithfulness of God, he concludes with God raising his son from the dead. And then he transitions to a message of freedom. All right? And he does that in verses 32 through 39. Look what it says. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. So what was not known and what was yet future, he was faithful to in raising up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm. I love this phrase, all right? Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. When you see that word in the second psalm, I don't know what that does for you, but it's just like scripture verifying scripture, right here. People say, well, what's the proof of the Old Testament? There it is, right? He's so pointed and detailed. He says, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. All right? And then he continues on, and he says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow the holy one to undergo decay. And then he contrasts David with Jesus Christ. This is very important. That's what he says. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Now, that doesn't mean he went night-night. That means he's dead. Okay, all right, so it says, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, underline that statement, right? After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, question, what is the purpose of God for you? Do you know it? You have a clue? You have an idea? I asked in that first service, I was worried about him. They got one extra hour of sleep, and I was like, hey, hello, what does God... God want us to do? What's his purpose? Do you have purpose? Class? You know, a lot of times when people think of purpose, they say, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I, I, I'm a 
mother, I'm a father, I have a job, I have to go to school. And that gives, all that stuff gives me my purpose. No. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Right? And your old priorities, they're gone. Right? What did Paul say? It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. It was this way, now it's this way. So, it's very imperative that we think about what the purpose of God for us is. So, in case you lack that, I was going to share three different suggestions with you. Number one, you have purpose in that as a believer, you have the responsibility to share the gospel of Christ. We agree on that? Class? Yes? You can talk. Doesn't bother me. Yes or no? Do we have that responsibility? Answer yes. Thank you. That makes me feel much better when you're talking. Um, Timothy didn't appear to have the gift of evangelism. That's evident from the scriptures. We're going to see that when we get back to 2 Timothy at some point in time. We're going to see that. But Paul encourages him to do the work of an evangelist. Right? So he has the responsibility. Just like we have the responsibility to evangelize. And this is what people tend to say. And I've said it too in the past. I just can't do that. You're right. You can't. But the Spirit of God can do it through you. You Do you have a story to share? Right? One of the things I loved about youth ministry years ago is when we go on trips, some trips we would do, especially when we were doing evangelistic trips, I would have the kids write out their testimony. It's not only, hey, this is when I got saved, but this is what the Lord is doing in my life now. That's a testimony. It's not just in the past. It's, it's, it's now. Right? So our purpose now is to share the gospel. Our purpose now is to make disciples. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Are you listening to me? There's a difference. I know what you're thinking right now. We'll never make it through all the slides, but I promise we do. Listen to what discipleship is. We know the verses, but listen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's discipleship. Teaching people the word of God. That's the big heading, right? Teaching people the word of God. And so our responsibility we have is to make disciples. There's another one I put on here, and that is to live to the glory of God. The purpose God has given us is to live to his glory. If you want to kind of make live to his glory, the big heading, and those two others I mentioned underneath, that's fine. But it's imperative that we understand that we have a purpose in our generation. Listen to me. Young people, you have a purpose. If you're in Christ, you have great purpose. When you go to school, help the Lord to help you, right? Ask the Lord to help you see people, hey, they're lost or they're saved. That's how we need to see people too. Are they lost or are they saved? So in this statement, Paul says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He He died. And was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Everybody understand that? Right? He returned to dust. But not the Lord. Look at this. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. That's right. The Bible tells us what? That he rose the third day. All right? We go, yes. Listen, that's the only reason we have hope. 
is because he's alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living Savior. All right, then he continues. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Listen to me. That's the central message. Jesus Christ went to the cross. God's son went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He did that. Every one of them. All right? So he says that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In other words, through Christ. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. The Bible says that the demons believe and shudder. We're talking about something different than that type of belief. The type of belief that we're talking about is belief in what God's son did for us at the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he paid for your sins? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about just some simple, oh yeah, I believe. I believe in what Jesus did for me. And by the way, I think it's noteworthy that Paul in his message does not include anything else but belief. Listen to me. There, there are so many people that want to add to the gospel of grace. They would say, well, it's belief plus something else. Well, not according to Paul. If he's preaching the gospel, right, and that's what he's doing, to him, he says, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Now look what he says in contrast, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law does what, class? It condemns, right? It shows man that he's what? He's guilty, right? He's guilty, um, the law does not set free. Christ does. And that was Paul's message. But his message brought mixed response. Um, positive and negative. Uh, we begin with the positive. It's always good to be, begin with the positive. Look what it says. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging. This is an interesting phrase. That these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. What do you mean begging? Right? We think of begging. We think of people maybe on the street corner begging for something. Listen, this picture in the Greek is incredible. They were literally face to face. That's the idea. It's not like they were standing afar saying, hey, look, we want this brought to us you know, next Sabbath. No, 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 no. They were in the face of these guys in their space, which is not allowed today, right? In their space saying, hey, we want more of this. Can you imagine if that took place after a message on a Sunday? If the pastor was to hear, hey, we want more of this. We're going to go grab some lunch and we'll be back in a couple of hours. Well, that's what was going on. The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. It says, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes who were Gentile converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, who being... Paul and Barnabas, were urging them to continue in the law. Is that what it says? Not what it says. Urging them to do what? Continue in the grace or unmerited favor of God. 
Guys, listen, we're saved by grace and we live by grace. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't have 613 commands? Imagine what that must have been like. And listen, if, you're, if you think you're saved by works, no wonder you're sitting on the edge of your seat every night, right? Sitting on the edge of your bed going, I don't know, I don't know. Listen, we're saved by grace. It's the favor of God. Man, it's good stuff. And then he says, in the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What a scene. The whole city is there listening to the word. Wouldn't that be nice? If we were in downtown Birmingham and the whole city, we said we're going to have this, this um, tent meeting or whatever, and all these people come. There are so many people, we just can't see them all. Imagine that. Tell you this, the word of God needs to be given to the people. You know the problem in a lot of places today, when people come together, they don't hear the gospel, they don't hear the truth. And you know, on the minds of most pastors and teachers, or let's just say some, let's be nice, on some pastors and teachers' minds is how can I keep the people in the seats? What's going to do it? A little bit of frosting. Right, some candles, party hat, some balloons. Let me give them all good news. Hey guys, you know what's so great? The gospel is good news. It is good news. In fact, I'd say it's great news. Um, but we need people in pulpits today that are willing to say, look at the person across from them and say, look, I'm guilty like you. I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. Well, that's the positive Here's the negative. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. That's an interesting phrase in the original language. It means that these guys had reached their limit. They couldn't take it anymore. They were tired of hearing it. Hmm? Are you tired of hearing health, wealth, and prosperity theology? I am. It does not save. All right? Um, these guys, it says, were filled with jealousy, and they began contradicting the things... Uh, spoken by Paul, that means that they were speaking against the things of Paul. And they were blaspheming. They were slandering. That's the word there. They were slandering. They were hurling abuse. And so the Paul and Barnabas say, well, I'm tired of this. I'm gone. Is that what they do? Not what they do. Look at what they do. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. <laughs> and said, it was necessary... That the word of God should be spoken to you first. In other words, the Jews. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, you know what we're doing? We are turning to the Gentiles. All right, that's what we're going to do because of your response. Uh-oh. And then it says, for thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. In other words, the gospel's for everyone. And this is quite a revelation. Then it says that when the Gentiles heard this, how did the Gentiles respond to this news? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Whoa. They're included. <laughs> and look what it says. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life did what? They believed. 
I didn't mention this first service, but, you know, election is just part of Scripture. I think the best way to deal with the doctrine of election is this, to recognize it's there and to continue to witness. Because you do not know, and I do not know, who is going to belong to the Lord. Can we agree on that? And then it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the region. All right? Then we come to verse 50. So what happens? Well, how is that news taken? Look at verse 50. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. That word persecution there is an interesting, vivid picture in the Greek. The word picture is of someone hunting someone down like they would hunt an animal down. In other words, we're going to get to them, whatever it takes. I've never been hunting. Uh, Actually, my dad bought me a BB gun when I was like seven or eight, and we went out to shoot it, and it was in the wintertime, and, you know, the, tr- the leaves were off the trees. And so, you know, it was like the de- end of December. And um, I took that BB gun, out and, and I saw this bird way up in the tree. And I'm like, I'll never hit that thing. And guess what? I hit that thing. I killed that bird. I felt awful. Never hunted a day in my life since. But this is the idea. They were hunting them down. They were causing problems, so we got to get rid of them. I mean, they're proclaiming a message that we're, we're not uh, understanding here. It's a message of grace. We're not for that. And they drove them out of their district. Well, it says in verses 51 and 52 that their time at Antioch came to a close. That's what it says. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. That's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? What does that mean? Well... That, that phrase there is symbolic of one who has done everything that they can do. In other words, they can't do anything else. They've done all that they could do. That's the picture. Paul and Barnabas had done all that they could do, and it was time for them to move on. And that's what they did. Because the Bible tells us here that they went to Iconium. And listen to the impact of Paul and, and Barnabas' ministry. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's a really great witness for us, isn't it, guys? Do you know what people long in this culture to be happy? It isn't about happy. How many of you are happy all the time? Well, I'm not. I I didn't tell this story first. One time I was cutting my grass uh, several years ago. And I'm cutting that grass, and I love to cut grass and, and um, make my yard look good. And I'm out there, and I'm cutting it. And this rock comes out from underneath the mower, and it goes to our, toward our front glass door. And you know what happened? Just shattered it. Just shattered it. It was unbelievable. Um, awful. But even though it was awful, there could be joy, Right? Ah, who cares? It's just a door. In the scheme of things, it's just a door. In the scheme of things, it's just a car. 
In the scheme of things, it's just a job. I can have joy in the midst of pain and suffering, right? Because it's an attitude. I'm not always happy. I was not happy that the rock went through my door. But I can be joyful in knowing, hey, it's just a door. It helps me to have perspective. And a lot of times we get caught up in that happy thing. We know the world is, but as believers, we need to get caught up in the joy thing, the joy that only the Lord can bring us. And so he says, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we go from Antioch to Iconium, all right? So they go from Antioch to Iconium, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, they preached in the synagogues and great results took place. Notice what it says. A great multitude believed. Man, wouldn't it be nice to see that today? Mm, It'd be nice to see that today. Where people are just falling on their knees and repenting. That's exactly what this nation needs to do. Fall on our knees and repent. That's what needs to happen. We need to pray that. Guys, we're living in an election season. Everybody's focused on all that stuff. I got news for you. God's in control of all of it. But our nation needs to confess and fall on their knees and say, you alone are God. That's exactly the message that Paul gives in all these cities. So a great multitude believed both of Jews and Greeks, which is fantastic. Well, but the unbelieving Jews encourage rebellion. So things aren't going real well. They're already, right, this persecution, they evade it in Antioch. They come to Iconium and it says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them. That word means to mistreat. Mistreated them against the brethren. All right, so there's persecution is going on there in Iconium. Well, how did they respond to that? Man, we're quitting. We're done with this. You know, we were set apart to do this thing, but I'm done. we weren't asking for suffering and tribulation and all these things i mean right as christians we just want the easy road paul and barnabas are like hey we're done with this is that what they do it's not what they do see these dudes were sold out jeanette on that video and those other christians sold out sold out this is what they do they keep on preaching The Bible says they spent a long time there speaking boldly, I love this, with reliance upon the Lord. (laughs) Listen to me. No matter what we face, it's preaching boldly with reliance on the Lord. Right? That's what we do. And there's going to come a time when I think pastors are going to kind of be on the front lines and you're going to say yes or no. I mean, there's, there's actually, I've read stories about uh, pastors who have actually been interviewed about what they're preaching and in the United States. And people say, well, you can't preach that. Well, but if the Lord says it, what are we going to do? we got a problem, don't we? If you're going to tell me to stop preaching the truth, well, then I'm in trouble, right? That means one of you guys will have to get up here and start preaching. But I love this. They didn't quit. They kept on their journey. They were sold out. But their message brought division. Hey, listen, the gospel divides. I'm, we're seeing it now. Okay, we're living it now. If you, if you, unless you're asleep, wake up. 
we're living it now. Okay? There's division going on in the church today. Just as sure as I'm standing behind this pulpit. There's division going on in the church. It's happening. It's happening. And it's happening for reasons it shouldn't happen. How are we divided on the issue of abortion? How are you divided on that? Somebody help me. Can you understand that? I can't understand it. And then what I really can't understand is people supporting people who are okay with it. I don't get that either. I just want one person that can sit in my office and say, Thad, this is why. Man, I know for a fact the Lord hates that sin. And you know what's sad? I don't think there's so many people that are really bothered by it. Doesn't appear to be. I'm going to say this. Christians do not have the freedom to support people who are for abortion. They do not. There is no freedom in that. I'm sorry. God doesn't give us freedom for that. Well, their message brings division. It says, The multitude of the city was divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, hold on a second. What? what what's going on here? Hey, this is, this is bigger than we were thinking. They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region, and there they just stopped altogether. Is that what it says? No. They kept on doing what? Preaching the gospel. So they get wind of the fact that these guys are going to stone them. And the Bible says they're out of there. They go to Lyconia and Lystra and Derby and the surrounding region, which I wanted to remind you of kind of what that was. Right? So then Antioch and Iconium, they end up here in Lystra. But they go to Derby as well. So they're in this region here. Okay? And uh, then we come to Lystra. The third city that has lengthy discussion about it. They were in other places, but this is where there's more discussion. There's a lame man in Lystra. And he's healed. This is very interesting. And at Lystra there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. When I was a little guy, my mom said I used to scoot on my belly. <laughs> but eventually I guess I got rid of that because I'm standing now and I'm walking. And been walking a long time. Okay? Um, by the way, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to walk. I know that sounds crazy, but the older I get, right? I mean, back in December when I had my surgery, I mean, I... I Teresa had to help me with lots of things. I'll just put it that way. And walking, whoa. That walking piece, it was like, I remember looking at these old people in the hospital, because I wasn't one of those guys, and, and just walking around there so slow. And, and I got on my little walker, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm no faster than they are, right? But, but to be able to walk, what, what a blessing that is. And this guy had been lame from birth. We don't know what his age was. But the Bible says this, this man was listening to Paul. What do we know about Paul when he's speaking? What's he doing? Proclaiming the gospel, the word of God. So it doesn't tell us here a specific message, but we can deduce from what he's already done, that's what he's doing. 
says this, who when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That he saw his faith in action. You know, we don't know what that looked like. But obviously there was an indication by this lame man that the message Paul was speaking was getting through to him. The Bible says that he said with a loud voice, Paul saying, stand upright on your feet. Can you imagine what that must have been like for that dude? We don't know how long that was, right? 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know. Stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and began to walk. Wow, what that must have been like. Well, it brings a reaction. There's a response from the crowd, but the crowd's response is not an appropriate one. Look what it says. And when the multitude saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying, in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Notice that's plural, the gods. All right, Gentiles had lots of gods. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And then it says, and they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And this is interesting. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. What have they done with Paul and Barnabas? Hey, they're gods, right? They've seen what's taken place. They want to sacrifice to them inappropriately. You say, well, what's the response of Paul and Barnabas? By the way, their response is absolutely incredible and on point. Look what it says. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it heard of what the fact these guys were wanting to offer sacrifices and worship them but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard of it they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying men why are you doing these things so before there is a verbal lecture there is a physical response they tore their robes i was reading in a commentary that John Walford has on this passage, he writes this, that Paul and Barnabas tearing their robes was their way of showing great displeasure in what these people were trying to promote them to. In other words, the blasphemy, because it was blasphemous. They were wanting to elevate Paul and Barnabas to godlike people. And Paul and Barnabas like, no. And they would literally, when they says they tore their robes, they would literally rip the neckline about four inches long. And that was their way of physically saying, hey, look, we're not for this. And so they tear their robes. And then it says this. I love what they do. They put themselves in the sandals of these guys. They're not saying, hey, look, we're something special. Notice what it says. We are also men of the same nature as you. Uh-oh. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's a really good answer. That's a really good response. Hey, we're just like you. It's a, listen to me. This is a great example of what we need to be like when we're witnessing to people. We're just like them. All of us guilty of sin? Answer? Yeah, we are. We're the same nature. And notice what Paul says. And preach the gospel. 
This is, we give you the gospel, the good news, in order that you would turn from the vain things to a living God. And listen, these guys had multiple gods. And so what does Paul do? Ingeniously, he says, hey, look, there's one God. Now notice this. He says that you would turn from these vain things to a living God who made, so in their minds, there are multiple gods. So how is Paul going to treat that? Brilliantly. Look what he says. A living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In other words, you have all these gods, but there's only one. Isn't that great? Can you imagine that message? Right? They were polytheists. There were many gods in their minds. And Paul's like, no. Look, ditch those vain things and those things that don't mean anything and put your faith in the living God. That's exactly what he's telling them. And look what it says. Then he's even, I think, he adds grace on grace. He said, and in the generations gone by, he being God, permitted all the nations to go their own way. That still goes on, doesn't it? Nations go their own way. People go their own way. The Lord allows it to happen, right? They make decisions. People make decisions all the time who they're going to worship and bow down to. But notice what he says. And yet he, being God, did not leave himself without witness. Now notice he, he points right at him. And he says, in that he did good and gave you. This is common, common grace. This is what it's called. Okay? He did good. God did good. The one I just told you that made the heavens and the earth. That one God gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. If they were in the audience, they'd say, yeah, that's true. Satisfying your hearts with, with food and gladness. Now, if you're sitting there, you're going, okay, that's, wow, what a message, right? So, you're in that crowd, you go, man, that's an awesome message. I can go from all these gods to one God. Well, how is that taken by the Jews and the crowd? They stone Paul. You ever had abuse hurled at you after you've shared the gospel? I'm not talking about physical. I thought I was talking about verbal abuse. Sure, you can run into that. But Paul's stoned. Look what it says. And even saying these things, they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. That's simply a parenthetical statement. It kind of keeps you up with the storyline. Okay? But then it says, but Jews came from Antioch. You're like, hold on a second. That's a little ways away. I mean, they, listen, this message they have, it's making a difference. It's impacting that whole region. And it says here, Jews came from Antioch, <coughs> excuse me, and Iconium, and they won over the multitudes. And the Bible says they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You said what they do, throw pebbles at him? Uh, no. Let me tell you about stoning. I read up on it, and I thought, hey, this is an interesting 
um, interesting article on Sony, and they were kind of all the same, so I picked one out. Because the Bible really doesn't tell us about that whole, how that looked thing. But stoning, um, this is what took place, all right? Where, where, where they stoned the person, um, they would stone them at a place that was twice the man's height. So in other words, however tall they were, they would double that, okay? And then one of the witnesses would take, would take the person being stoned and they would take them by, grab them by the hips and they would throw them on their stomach, twist them around and throw them on the, on the rocks, okay? So I don't, however far that was, like from here to here or maybe, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, I don't know. But they threw them down, face down. If that didn't kill them, then they would turn their body over and another witness would take a big, large boulder and throw it on their chest. Question, does that sound fun? No, doesn't. That's what's going on, okay? That was one kind, so we don't know if that was this kind here. But then another kind of stoning was when they would take the one being stoned and they would tie him to a post and they would hurl stones at them. I'm not talking about little pebbles. I'm talking about stones. And they would hurl those stones at them. They would lift them up and hurl the stones. We don't know which one took place. The Bible doesn't tell us. But Paul was stoned. We know that at one time in Jesus' ministry, I didn't mention this first service, that they were wanting to stone him as well. Well, what happens? They left him for dead. This is what the Bible says. But while the disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city. Oh, hold on a second. The Bible just said that they left him there like he was what? Dead. They thought the job was done. Now, the scriptures don't tell us whether or not he died or he didn't die. Okay? Lots of guys write lots of articles about it and all they're doing is arguing back and forth. But what the Bible does tell us is this. While the disciples stood around him, he arose. It was miraculous either any way you look at it. I mean, the man would have been black and blue all over if you get my drift. He was in no place to get up and walk on his own. We can at least say that. So the Lord got him up. And the Bible says, and he entered the city. When you look at that, you go, this dude's nuts. I mean, he was just stoned, right? His life was literally almost taken or taken from him. And he's going to go back to that place? Man, he ought to get on a ship and head back, right? Who would want to do what he did? But the Bible says he arose and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And then it says this. You remember that verse we started with? And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned where? (laughs) They returned to where they had been. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, I left this part out to begin with. 
because when you look at the first part of that, you're like, man, they, they were doing great things, and there were no problems. But can you say that? No. The Bible says, Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That word tribulations is hardships. Would you do what Paul and Barnabas did? <laughs> right? Get me another interstate, put me somewhere else. I'm not going back to those cities. Because if those guys were willing to come from Antioch and come to Lystra and Stone, well, they're willing to do anything. No, thank you very much. But man, am I encouraged that Paul continued on. Guys, I hadn't thought about this till this week when I was studying and preparing. I was like, I wonder when Paul was in that dungeon, right, in the context of 2 Timothy, and he, he's about to have his head chopped off. I wonder how many of these things he recalled. I think many. I believe that. You remember what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4? It says he finished the course. Now, when you look at the life of Paul and his course, was it easy? Answer, no, it was not easy. But he finished the course. Why did he finish the course? Class, answer, he finished the course because he was sold out. He finished the course because he made statements like this. For to me, personal pronoun me, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean what for me? You know what that verse says? If Paul says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean what? Fruitful labor for me. He was just so focused on Christ. It was amazing. Are you sold out? Sure kind of stopped to make you think, doesn't it? These dudes were sold out. I ran across a story of another guy that sold out in North Africa. And his response to his persecution is just, doesn't make sense. His efforts to spread the gospel and plant churches in North Africa had, had put him on the radar of the authorities, the local authorities. And um, he's been detained and interrogated many times. But you know what the theme is for him? Every time, and, and he doesn't stop. Like he's arrested, he's detained, he's interrogated, he goes back out and does the same thing. I mean, you'd be like, dude, don't you get it? Stop doing that and then you'll be fine. But he can't stop. Why can't he stop? Believers can't stop. He can't stop saying. But you know what he does? When he's brought in and he's interrogated, he's questioned. In the story it says this. Each time he is arrested and he goes in and they detain him and they interrogate him. Whoever interrogates him, he shares the gospel with. He's like Paul. Imagine what it was to be like to be like with Paul, chained to those Roman soldiers, always sharing the gospel. Well, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And I'll say this to you. After reading through these two chapters and studying it and taking it in, I'm like, man, Lord, I have a lot to be thankful for. There's nobody standing outside that door wanting to stone me.
wanting to shoot me yet. Do you know what, guys? We need to think through, because you're just like me. We look at life and go, yeah, it's always going to be the same. Everything's going to be nice. The reality is, suffering happens in two ways. And I'm done after this. Suffering happens in two ways. There's suffering for the gospel of Christ and the word of God. And there are people around the world that are suffering for that. Does that make sense? And there are people in scriptures we can point to in history, church history, and say, hey, they suffered for the gospel of Christ. And, and there's suffering attached to the gospel and the word. And that's one type of suffering. But then there's suffering that we experience in our lives physically, right? That has nothing to do with that. But you know what ties together? How we respond to those things. How do we respond when we're suffering for the gospel? How do we respond when we're just suffering in life? Are we responding in the way that the Lord wants us to respond? Which is to live to his glory and to have the joy. To have the joy. Right? I admit that in my lifetime, um, I maybe have suffered about that much. Not, hardly at all. I mean, I've had a really good life. I, I just, I, no complaints. I complain, but no complaints. But think about our brothers and sisters around the world like Jeanette, who would have every reason to say, man, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm done. May the Lord help us to learn from people like Jeanette and people like Paul and people like Barnabas. Well, I wanted to make mention um, before uh, we leave today um, of two things. The first is that we need to pray for our country. Okay? We're done with the message. I made it through two chapters, right? We need to pray for our country. You know, election day is Tuesday. I got really great news for you. The Lord's in control. He's on the throne. And he'll still be on the throne after Tuesday. Okay? Or Wednesday or next month or next year, whenever it's decided. He's still on the throne. And do you know the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that he puts them on and he takes them off. So guess what's not going to surprise the Lord come Tuesday? He's not going to be surprised by the results because behind the scenes, he's working all this out for what's coming. And that gives me great hope. So we just need to pray for our nation. And no matter who it is, we know we have the responsibility to pray for those men that will lead. I um, also want to make mention um, of a personal prayer request for our body. Um, John Burnett is up in Rochester, um, Minnesota with his wife Chris and his daughter Lindsay uh, Paige and Tony weren't able to go up um, but John's having a very serious surgery tomorrow at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and we love John and we love Chris and we love the family um, we need to pray for skill for the doctors as they work on John and for the nurses as they attend to John and for for um, uh, Chris and, and, and Lindsay as they're up there. Guys, we have ways to communicate with people now, right? We got the phone. You can just send a message. Next thing you know, it's in Rochester. I don't know how that happens, but it's really awesome. Um, send them a message. Just a short one, praying for you, thinking of you, whatever it is. You know, when God put his body together, and part of that is just, you know, ministering to each other, encouraging one another, 
And um, so I would just encourage you to um, just think, when you think about John and Chris, just to pray for them. And uh, he's, I didn't mention this last um, service because um, I just forgot, but he, he's going to be awake during the surgery, which is, that's traumatic. I mean, they're working on his heart. He's going to be awake for that somewhat enough to kind of know what's going on. And um, I had a conversation with him about that a couple of days ago. So just pray for John, please, when you think about it, and Chris. And I know they really, really would appreciate it, and the family as well. And just pray for Paige, too. She's here. She wasn't able to go up. So you know, just that whole family, if you can kind of keep them in mind, I know they would really appreciate that. All right. Let's uh, stand together and let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we read passages like we, we have today, and I mean, it's just so amazing that we have examples of people who were willing to lay it on the line, and they were just sold out to you, and no matter what was ahead of them, they, I mean, they were men, they were fearful, obviously, but Lord, there was joy in their life because of you, there was purpose, and I just thank you for the joy that you give us, the purpose you give us, and Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be proclaimers of your gospel and to not, not apologize for the truth. Um, that we would love people so much that all we can do is share the gospel with them. Uh, Lord, we pray for the persecuted church around the world, and we just pray for Jeanette and others that are being persecuted for the gospel. And we just ask for their protection, their encouragement, their strengthening. Lord, we know you do that, and so we just pray for them. And Lord, we also, um, this morning, want to pray for John, and I just pray for real skill for the doctors tomorrow and wisdom as they as they work on John, Lord. And um, we love him, and we love Chris and Paige and Tony and Lindsay. We love that whole family. We're just asking, Lord, that you'd minister to them during this time, and that you would just just encourage them and uh, help us as a body uh, to be encouraged uh, as well from them and us to encourage them. It's, it's, it works both ways, Lord, and uh, a lot of times we're encouraged the most by those who are going through difficulties. So I just pray that, that we would accept the encouragement, that we would give the encouragement, Lord, and that you would be glorified in all of it. And we just commit the rest of the day and our week to you, and we would ask, Lord, that... Um, we would be faithful, uh, be sold out to you in all areas of our lives, that at the end of the day, that our mind would be to bring you all the glory and all the honor. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who alone is God. Amen. You are dismissed now.